0: Welcome to The Bittersweet Life. If you're new to the show, I encourage you to go back to the beginning to episode one and join us for the whole journey. There are a lot of great episodes in the past that you shouldn't miss. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today, we're celebrating Museum Week. After the fact.
1: (laughs) Right? Yes. Museums and people who like to go to museums tweet about their favorite museums. Every day has a topic. Last Monday's topic was museum secrets. And since I know a lot about the Vatican museums from doing tours there for many years, and because my husband works there, I wrote a lot that day about the secrets of the Vatican Museums. That was fun.
0: What was the best secret you revealed, would you say?
1: The most popular one would have been the Tower of Winds, which is this tower in the Vatican Museums. It's actually not part of the museums, but it's in the Vatican, a place that not a lot of people have been. It's very, very off-limits, and I was lucky enough to go there in 2008 or 2009. It was right when my husband and I were first dating And he had a friend who had a friend who was writing a book on Renaissance astrological towers. And so they were opening it up just for this man and like 10 people that he wanted to bring. And somehow Claudio managed to get us included in this. And it was really, really cool because it was a, it's a really a place that no one ever goes.
0: That sounds mysterious and wonderful in its own right.
1: Yeah, no, it's cool because it was built when the calendar, the Julian calendar, which was what they were using at that time in the 1500s, was off by about 10 days due to a miscalculation with leap year. Leap year was being observed too often. And so the calendar was off. And this made a huge problem because there was a rule that says that if... Easter is not celebrated on the correct date, then whoever celebrates Easter on the wrong date is excommunicated from the church. And this is not good, of course, because the Pope was celebrating it on the wrong date. So they had to build this tower with a meridian in it to be able to figure out exactly the right date. And that's where the whole Gregorian calendar comes from. Pope Gregory the Thirteenth was Pope at that time. And they realized that the calendar was 10 days off. They were 10 days behind, and so Everyone went to bed on October 4th, 1852, and when they got up the next morning, it was October 15th. Wow.
0: That must have been crazy for business.
1: (laughs) Paying your rent. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That would have sucked.
0: (laughs) Now, you go to a lot of museums, and when I lived in Rome, I went to a lot of museums.
1: I went to more museums the year that you lived in Rome because you were there. So I don't go to near as many as I did then, and, and I miss it, and I wish that you were here so we could go more often. Not that I can't go without you, but it's more fun to go with you.
0: Well, why don't you go by yourself? Is it? Is it sort no, of like I, going to the movies by yourself?
1: No, I do go to museums by myself, but its I think it's more of a laziness thing. Oh, I could go, but well, I'm not going to go, you know? Whereas if you've made plans with someone that you're going to go. I'm also busier this year than I was last year, so that might be part of it.
0: Well, as a tour guide who's taken, I don't even know how many visitors, thousands, hundreds of thousands of visitors through museums, give us some tips. What... Mistakes do you see people making when they enter museums?
1: Well, in general, at an ordinary museum, so not specifically the Vatican because the Vatican kind of has its own deal, but if you're going to a big museum like the Louvre or the National Gallery, I think the biggest mistake that people make is not to make a plan, to just wander because those museums are so big that you can never see everything. It's physically impossible to see everything in one visit. And so what happens is people just kind of wander and they don't, they might enjoy what they're seeing, but they might miss something that they would have really enjoyed more and they don't have the time to see it. Or by the time they get there, they're too tired to appreciate it. Or they just get, I think it's called Stendhal syndrome, which is basically the idea that after two hours of looking at art, you can't take it in anymore. You just kind of shut down. If they have a tour guide, I think they can last longer. Not that I'm trying to sell myself as a tour guide, but a tour guide can be entertaining. Whereas when you're just on your own after about two hours, you need a break at least. So I would say when you go into a big museum, especially a museum like the Uffizi again, the the National Gallery in London, get the map that has all of the rooms on it and it kind of gives you an idea of where different things are. Like there's the old masters area, maybe there's the Venetian masters, the Dutch masters, there's the Renaissance maybe, there's a section on... Impressionism, whatever it is. If you know that you love Impressionism and you don't really care about the Dutch masters, make yourself a route. Pick your top five. My husband and I do this because we're huge nerds, but we, it works. We get to the museum, we sit down, we open it up, and we decide you know, what we want to see. And he'll have his favorite things, and I'll have my favorite things, and so we'll make a route. We'll at least get through that. And then if we have more time, then we can maybe try something else. But at least we know we've seen what we want to see.
0: That's a really good tip. What if, you don't...
1: what if you don't have a favorite thing?
0: Yeah, how do you know where to begin? What if you're very new to walking in a gallery and all of a sudden you find yourself near the Louvre? Oh, well, I guess I should go.
1: You know, I, I think it depends on the museum. I think there are some museums who have a highlights route, like specifically for people who just want to make sure that they see the top things. You might be able to go online. Let's say you're going to be in Paris and you want to go to the Louvre. You know nothing about art. Go online, type in highlights of the Louvre. And see if someone has blogged about the top most important things to see at the Louvre. Then you at least have an idea. Maybe they won't be your favorite things, but at least you know you've seen... You didn't miss the Mona Lisa, for example. Which
0: would suck. (laughs) That would be the one thing.
1: (laughs) Which would really suck. I mean, you have no idea how many people... You wouldn't believe it. You literally wouldn't believe how many people go to the Vatican Museums... And either they miss the Sistine Chapel, they just miss it, or, which is worse... They see it, but they don't realize that they've seen it. Mm. My husband, as as I've said, he works in the Vatican Museums. And one day, and he says this has happened to him more than once, he's been outside the Vatican Museums, basically right out the exit, outside the Sistine Chapel. And for those of you who haven't been to the Vatican, the Sistine Chapel, although it is a chapel and a religious place, it is part of the Vatican Museums. It's not part of St. Peter's Basilica. It's in the museum complex itself, which is made up of Dozens of different museums, and it's enormous. So he was right outside the Sistine Chapel where people exit. They can't get back in from there. And he said people have walked out of the Sistine Chapel, turned to him and said, where is the Sistine Chapel? When they were just there.
0: What does he say?
1: He always sends them on, away from the Sistine Chapel. He says, oh, keep going, keep going. Because his philosophy is if you were in the Sistine Chapel and you didn't realize that you were in the Sistine Chapel then you don't deserve to see it. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of cruel, but come on. I mean, you have to be a huge idiot not to get it. Even if you know nothing about art, you, come on, right? Yeah, I
0: get that. What do you think about the people who go through and photograph everything?
1: I, I got really into Vine for a while. I don't do Vine very much anymore, but I, I was really into it last year. You know you can make some really beautiful vines in museums if you take really quick shots of lots of different works of art. And I know I went to a museum with you, and you didn't say anything because you're you're too nice to say anything, criticize your friends. But I was I was realizing I was like I'm being a total jerk because here I am in this museum with Katie, insisting that I go back and and oh I got to check this and I got to make sure and I got to edit and I got to send this. I'm not enjoying this museum. I'm too involved in getting this stupid vine and making it look good, and I'm missing the real moment of the museum, which is something I criticize in other people, but I was totally doing it myself.
0: Although that vine you made of all the mosaics is pretty nice.
1: It's pretty nice, isn't it? It's really, really pretty. That's the one I was to- I'm talking about. So you remember that moment.
0: I do remember that moment.
1: But I mean, what do you think about it? Do you roll your eyes when you see people photographing everything?
0: Yes, generally speaking. Not to say that I don't understand photographing some things. My issue is about living in the moment. So, generally speaking, I'm going to try to actually enjoy the moment more than I'm going to try to record the moment. That said, if I see something that I think would be artistically interesting and might inspire me to make something that's inspired by it, then I'll stop and take pictures of it. So, I have a lot of pictures from Rome of little tiny details from grotesques. Oh, I love those. Yeah, from the Vatican Museum, I have an owl standing next to a deer that were just painted along the edging of a hallway. just something most people were walking by. So I record little tiny details like that, things that I find inspiring. But I I always think that the picture I take with my iPhone is never going to capture what it actually looks like to be there. And there are probably people who took better pictures that capture what it's like to be there better. So I might as well look for those instead.
1: Well, um, yes and no. I don't think you're ever going to find a picture of that owl and that deer, though.
0: No, that's true. And that's why I take that picture.
1: Yeah. So I think that taking pictures of details is great. I, I love to do that, too. And, and I usually will tweet them if I take a cute little picture. And, and And people appreciate it. People are fascinated by little details that generally go unnoticed. That I think you should keep doing. Yeah, the taking picture of the basilica... Yes. You know, if you go onto Flickr, into the Creative Commons, you can find that picture and it'll be way better. Yeah.
0: A lot of what I record picture-wise, because I don't really like taking pictures, are things that I don't want to forget. And that could be a piece of street graffiti or that little owl and the deer. But for whatever reason, that brings me back to the moment and it encapsulates a moment or an artistic idea that I want to hold on to and the rest of it i just sort of let go by the wayside that's often why i don't have enough pictures of friends and things because i don't take them in the moment
1: do you ever pose in front of anything for example if you were standing in saint peter's square would you think oh let's not just take a picture of it but let's take a picture of us in front of it
0: not unless there's a purpose i took a picture of me in saint peter's square wearing a scarf a woman had made for me I think that's the only picture I took of myself in St. Peter's Square because I wanted to show her that, yes, it was winter in Rome. Yes, I was there. And yes, I was wearing the scarf. That said, I never sent her the picture.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So the Um, intention was there. I think I do take pictures in front of things, but I don't think I'm as bad as some people. I just like to put it out there. I don't take selfies. Oh, that's true. And I do not pose in front of works of art. A work of architecture, yes, but I will not stand in front of the David and have my picture taken. I will not stand, especially if it's a painting. Like, it seems to be in such poor taste to stand in front of a work of art and have your picture taken with it. I don't, I don't like it. It's something that you, you see at the Vatican Museums a lot, particularly women who are standing in front of these gorgeous works of ancient statuary, posing you know, as if they're at Las Vegas that really gets on my nerves
0: are you a person who would do the pose where it looks like you're holding up the leaning tower of Pisa?
1: <laughs> oh i've done it i've totally done it but <laughs> in my defense i was 20 years old but yes i have done that i've done i've done holding up the monument valley or le- no what is it leaning my elbow on monument valley and that was just last year so <laughs> <laughs> i don't have the excuse of youth for that one
0: When we were at the Leaning Tower of Pisa last year, we were taking pictures of people doing that, but slightly off. (laughs) So you saw how awkward looking that they looked with the tower like slightly far away. Maybe I'll post one of those too.
1: No, it's funny when you think about it, like how there are these trends in touristic photos, like the Leaning Tower of Pisa. If you ever go to India, go to the Taj Mahal, there's a picture that everybody takes. I had a little tour guide with me. If you didn't hear the story of my Taj Mahal tour guide, go back to the episode called Assault. Part one. Part one. That's a hint of how that tour ended up. But he was like, you have to put your hand like this. So it looks like you're pulling up the top of the Taj Mahal with your fingers. Everybody does this. So it's funny how there are these little You know, these little things that everybody does.
0: Yes. And in Cambodia, when you go to uh, Anchor Tom, which is right by Anchor Wat, which is one of those ancient temples with the faces embedded in them, there's a way to stand next to Anchor Tom that looks like you're kissing him. See? Lip to lip. My sister did it. Did she? But you wouldn't. You had too much class for that, eh? Probably. I'd like to
1: say so. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why I didn't do it. I took a picture, of which I love. I love Puccini. He's my favorite composer. When I was younger, I even loved him, obviously, even more because I was so into opera, and I lived and breathed opera. And I was in the town of Lucca for a month studying opera, and that's where Puccini is from. And in one of the squares, there is a statue of him, bronze statue on a pedestal, and he's sitting with one leg crossed over, so his foot is resting on his knee, and he's, I think he's smoking a cigar. Anyways, he's leaning back. And it was late one night. It was the same summer that I took the picture of me in front of the Tower of Pisa. So I was 20. I was with a friend. It was really late at night. There was no one around. I climbed up onto the statue and I sat on his lap. And I got a picture of me kissing him on the lips. (laughs) But I'm glad I did that because I love Puccini. And it was probably, you know, you shouldn't probably sit on a work of art. It's probably not right, but I love the picture. Definitely not. <laughs> just like you can't swim in the Trevi Fountain. No, not unless you want to pay 5,000 euros. What would you, I mean, I gave my advice on like how to make the best of your museum visit in a very practical way, but since you are a pro at living in the moment, <laughs> what would you... <laughs> that's I think you are. <laughs> I think you are. That's just, that's my opinion. How would you suggest to someone in a museum setting, or in a touristic setting, to live in the moment. I guess put the camera away. That's hard. That's hard these days. I
0: know. Definitely put the camcorder away. Definitely. And I would also say that don't feel obligated. If you're not interested in something, if a room isn't appealing to you for some reason, just move on. You don't need to sit there and read the plaques. You don't need to get the full picture. Museums are, yes, they're partly about learning history, but they're also partly about inspiration. And so dragging yourself through a museum that you find miserable just because you feel like you need to learn as much as possible keeps a lot of people from going to museums, I think. Mm -hmm. They get kind of a bad rap in that regard. So I would just say, don't feel obligated. Move on. If you're not enjoying that room, move on. That's good advice. If it's too crowded and it's driving you crazy, move
1: on. That'll happen a lot in the Vatican for sure. That'll probably happen nine, ten months out of the year. I ran into a couple of people in India. We were talking about the same the same point. And these guys said that they had been to a museum in Mexico. It was, I think, the like, Frida Kahlo Diego Rivera Museum. When they instituted this museum, they instituted a rule of no photographs, and it wasn't because they didn't want people reproducing their work. It was because they wanted people to be in the moment when they were in their museum. People are going to remember this museum and this experience a hundred times more if they don't take pictures of it. It goes against common sense because you think if I take a picture, I'm going to remember it. And sometimes that's true, but a lot of times it's not true. Except you might forget the owl and the deer if you didn't take a picture of it. You might. <laughs> you might. Forget that. But that's an interesting thought. But you might remember the whole th- the whole thing as a whole. I remember when I was in Paris for the first time when I was 14, I was kind of that age when I wasn't quite into art and museum going that much yet. It was like just on the cusp of it, and so I was kind of bored a lot. I remember going into this museum. It wasn't the Louvre. It was some very small museum, and I remember a painting that I saw of a young girl who's probably about my age. And I was so taken by this this painting. And of course, I have, I have no photograph of it. I have no postcard. I have no idea what it was, who painted it. Not, I know nothing about it. But it's totally imprinted in my mind. And I remember my reaction to it. And I remember how I was just so absorbed by it. I was so charmed by it for some reason. I don't know why. So, you know, you don't always need to take a picture.
0: Well, that's an interesting thing, too, is what you find charming can be sometimes the smallest little thing. There's a painting um, that I also saw at Rome. I have no idea who did it. I don't like the foreground of it at all. But in the background, there was a doorway that was open and with a light shining through. And there were two little birds sitting in the sunshine. And I just thought that was such
1: a nice little detail. Just these two little sparrows wandering by. I love details like that. I think they definitely make works of art more three-dimensional. Well, why
0: don't we say that this week we'll try to go to a museum. Okay. At some point, and next week we'll talk about our experience. Sounds good. And what actually happened there. So just to end, let's say someone is planning a trip to Rome, hopefully inspired by this podcast to go visit, and they're going to go to the Vatican museums. If you had to give
1: little pieces of advice about how to navigate
0: the Vatican museum, what would you say?
1: I would say the number one thing is that you need to book your tickets in advance. Absolutely. It costs only four euros extra, but it is so worth it because at almost any time of year, except maybe like in the middle of January, pretty much any other time of year, there's going to be a line to get in. It might only be a half an hour line, or if you come around Easter, it might be three hours. So you never know what kind of a line you're going to find. So if you book in advance four euros extra and you get in right in front of everybody else and it is absolutely worth it so that's my first piece of advice. My second piece of advice is connected to what I said about big museums in general which is to pace yourself and to not try to see everything. The most important thing to see at the Vatican Museums is the Sistine Chapel. Unless you've been there before you've seen the Sistine Chapel and you really don't mind not seeing it again You need to structure your visit around the Sistine Chapel. It's really the most important thing. But it's at the very, very end of the museums. So what happens to a lot of people is they get inside. They're really excited. They want to see as much as they can. And they stop and they look. And there are so many works of art in there. You could literally spend every day for a week or more just, you know, studying so many incredible things. But if you only have one day and you only have maybe maximum three hours or four you won't be able to stand being in there more than four hours, so don't even try it. It will exhaust you. I would say three is, is about an average amount of time. Just keep in mind that you're going to want to spend at least 20 minutes in the Sistine Chapel, just soaking it in. Because, I mean, there's so many paintings. I mean, there's so many figures in it. There's so many different works of art. It's not just one image of God and Adam on the ceiling with their fingers touching. It's so much more than that. Make sure you pace yourself Make sure you have enough energy by the time you get to the Sistine Chapel to enjoy it. Don't go into every single room. You're going to have to skip certain parts of the museums. If you have the energy and if you can manage it, do try to go to the Raphael rooms, which are also incredible. But the most important thing is save your energy, save your strength for the end, because that's where the most important stuff is.
0: I have one final question for you. Yes. As a person who has been in the Sistine Chapel and in the Vatican Museum in general a thousand times, leading tour groups. Does it ever get boring?
1: You definitely get used to it in a way. It's not going to shock you the way that it will your first time or your second time. For me, I can only speak for myself, I, I was never able to walk through the Sistine Chapel and not look around me. I don't do tours of the Vatican Museums anymore, but when I did... I would let my group loose for 15, 20 minutes, let them absorb it on their own, and then meet up with them at the back of the chapel. And, you know, I would sometimes just sit in there and, you know, enjoy it myself. And, you know, you can never something like that. I don't, I mean, maybe my <laughs> if I could get if I could get Claudio on here, maybe he he would be able to say it better because he's probably been in the Sistine Chapel. 15,000 times as opposed to my 1,000 times so maybe for him it really is boring but for me no it's not and I was in there once at the very 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 end of the day and if you've been in the Sistine Chapel you know that it's kind of dark in there unless you go like at noon in the middle of summer and you have a lot of light shining in it's quite dark They have a system of lighting that's very, very bright, but they don't keep it on very much, hardly ever. They only keep it on, like, for specific events. There's going to be the conclave or something or have a um, a concert, none of which, of course, I've been uh, present for. So it was the very end of the day, and I was just about to walk out with these private clients I had, and all of a sudden, all of the lights turned on. I'd never seen it before. It was like going from black and white to color almost. Never seen it lit up like that, and it was absolutely amazing for me.
0: Do you think that you've seen everything in the Vatican Museums now?
1: Oh, no, absolutely not. I mean, because I was a tour guide there, I was generally going to the same places, the top sites. So sometimes I would get clients, you know, private clients who had a specific inclination to one type of art, maybe not common. So I've been to places just a few times, like the Etruscan Museums or the Egyptian Museums or the Modern Art Museum. But there are other places that there's a carriage museum, carriage and cars, the Pope's over the years. I've never been there. And there's a number of other museums, the Museum of Stamps and Coins I've never been to. I don't know if I'm missing much there. Uh, You're not. I went to that. (laughs) No no way. (laughs) So, you know, no, I definitely haven't seen everything. You have to consider there's thousands and thousands of works of art that are in their archives that aren't even on display.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, we should leave it there. Okay. And... You have your assignment. Try to get to a museum this week and I'll I will do mine. Try. I will try. We'll report back. Until then, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Talk to you next week. If you're coming to Rome, Tiffany is an excellent tour guide. Find her at thepinesofrome.blogspot.com. There's a link on our website, thebittersweetlife.net, and you can have her personally drag you around the city. And consider supporting us. There's a donate button on our website. It helps us pay the bills and keep this podcast going without too much loss for us. Thanks so much for spending all this time with us.